Hello and welcome to Yesterday in Travel. My name is Brian Rogers and I'm here with co-host Kalina Fraga. Hi, Kalina. Hi, Brian. So for our inaugural episode, we're going to discuss the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978 and we'll dive into the details of what it was and why it was interesting in a moment. But first, we're going to start off each episode with a quick rundown of some travel stats, things that we're seeing that are relevant to travel as it stands right now, and will hopefully help listeners kind of get oriented and start thinking through whether they should be traveling or where they could potentially go if they're thinking about traveling. So Kalina, what are we seeing? Yeah. So first, we want to look at TSA throughput numbers. This is the total number of people passing through security checkpoints in U.S. airports. So throughput is about 29% of what it was last year. And if you look at a graph of throughput over time, it shows that the numbers are increasing slowly week to week from the lowest point in mid-April. But ever since early July, the rate of increases has been going down. So we're seeing a very slow uptick at this point week to week. Also, we're looking at kayak flight searches, which are down 60 to 70% on average from last year. And as far as where you can and can't travel right now, it's really complicated. There are some countries where U.S. citizens are explicitly barred, like any country in the European Union, although there are exceptions there. And then there are countries like Mexico where it's on a state-by-state basis. So, for example, where Cancun is is open to travel, as is Baja, California, but other states may be closed. Uh, The border is also closed between the U.S. and Mexico. Um, You can fly, that's legal, but you can't drive. And even in the EU... The rules allow for individual countries within the EU to let in visitors. So Croatia is allowing tourists. And I would just add also, like, you can go to places like Ireland, but you have to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah. So the bottom line is that the U.S. State Department has issued different level warnings, but there's really no way to avoid the risk of the virus if you're flying. So across the board, the general refrain is reconsider travel just broadly. And then from there, there are countries that are Level three, exercise extreme caution, and level four, which is do not travel. Among the countries that are at the reconsider travel level, meaning they're open for travel even if it's not recommended, there are a handful of islands in the Caribbean like Bermuda, Antigua, Barbuda, St. Bart's, St. Lucia, Aruba, and Jamaica. Also at the reconsider level are countries like Croatia, Ireland, French Polynesia, the Maldives, Rwanda, Serbia, Turkey. But all of these destinations have their own individual rules about the protocols for entering and so on, how long you have to quarantine, when you need a test for, you know, how, how long before you need, you need a negative test. So the take-home message is it continues to be very complicated um, and not advisable. <laughs> yeah, especially since it can take a long time to like even get your test results back. If you go to Croatia or most places probably, you need like a... 72-hour-old negative result, and that's not always possible um, in some cities here. So for our first episode, we're going to talk about this bill that passed in Congress in 1978 called the Airline Deregulation Act, which really changed how people fly in so many ways. It touched every part of the aviation industry, and most importantly for our discussion today, how people travel. Ultimately, it made it possible for people to travel more, which had good and bad effects. Um, It made prices cheaper, and it also made travel a bit more uncomfortable. But before we get into exactly what happened in 1978, we wanted to start by giving an idea of sort of what the travel landscape looked like before this and set up why the bill ended up coming to be in the first place. It all kind of goes back to the initial years of 
air travel in the first place. Air travel was was something that was only invented in the early 1900s. We had all sorts of inventors building different flying machines. And then eventually the Wright brothers built their first airplane and sort of were credited with the first flight. Although I think there's lots of dispute among aviation people about that. There's a, there's a funny, you know, there's like this thing with license plates and it's like North Carolina and one of their license plate both credit the Wright brothers like being in their states. I think they may have built a plane in one place and flown it somewhere else. Oh. Both states are like, this was us. We did it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. We had early airplanes being built around the turn of the century. And, you know, Charles Lindbergh made the first solo flight across the Atlantic in 1927. I think the important thing here is that like planes were this new technology that the government was like, okay, well, this is for commerce, kind of like in a similar way that the trains had been. They were used, like the government subsidized them as a way to get mail back and forth. So it, it like started out as like a government, kind of like very attached to the government. Yeah. As this technology was like growing. Yeah, I guess as it was growing, it, it seemed like the government wanted to get regulations around it because it was dangerous and potentially useful, but it seemed like without regulation, it might not actually be adopted as like a new viable form of travel because there wouldn't be enough sort of standardization to make consumers have confidence that it could actually be something that a human wanted to travel in. And I think part of that was because early on, there was this craze in the 20s called barnstorming. in which it was sort of like whirling dervish doing all sorts of stunts and tricks and people would go out to see these shows and in those shows like they were meant to be spectacular and crazy and fun and exciting but in a lot of cases they resulted in crashes or injuries and there was sort of like a a sense of danger associated with with flight and so the government decided they were going to to start regulating it as a way to keep it alive yeah. and make it actually function and grow. Also, I don't know if you have anything to say about like the FDR era. Yeah, I would say two things. One is that I think going into like the 1940s in the first half of the 20th century, there was like, okay, there's lessons to be learned about like things being deregulated because you had the depression. And FDR, of course, was like very like, he was regulating all the time. Um, so it made sense that they would have this. But they also, if you look at airplanes as like a new form of transportation, I think the government is also looking back at like how they'd failed in the past or how they could improve upon other forms of transportation. And so like with the railroads, the robber barons created these like vertical integration where they controlled both sides of the supply chain and they could just charge whatever they wanted. So the government kind of in this pro-regulation, I don't want to say frenzy, but like that was the word of the day after the depression with FDR. They wanted to like make sure that, that wasn't going to happen again and they could control this new technology, especially as it became less of a like a service, like delivering the mail and more like a thing people used mm-hmm, as entertainment mm-hmm. or leisure. Yeah. And I thought, interestingly, they also barred railroad companies from owning any new airline companies with this idea that the railroad owners seeing airlines as competitors would, since they had tons of money, buy up the companies and then hinder them, like keep them from actually being successful so that, you know, it didn't affect their business, which was also something that they had done with the shipping industry when the Panama Canal had been built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would also just add, I think this era, the government's had kind of a finger in a lot of pies. Another thing that was happening right now was 
the creation of like movies and cinema. And the government was like all over that, like how this was going to be distributed, what was going to be allowed to be shown. Because there was this fear that if they didn't do that, people would be influenced by this new technology. So it was like pretty natural that the government would go into something new, like airplanes that were like spreading and changing and like want to control that Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And so what they did is they set up this regulating entity that would oversee the airline industry and kind of set it up as a public utility. So they set fares, they had a say in what routes were traveled by different airlines, scheduling. So they they were kind of trying to set up kind of an infrastructure and they also regulated safety. So they set up pretty strict safety protocols that were standardized across the industry, which was meant to improve consumer confidence so that people could feel like it would be safe to travel in planes. I think that's really important too, because they... They thought if they if the planes weren't regulated, they would just do whatever they wanted with safety. Like they needed these regulations in order to keep people safe was some of the thinking at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It went well. It, it it seems like airlines took off and air travel did grow during this period. But what is, I think, interesting is that, I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but because of regulation in part and partly because it was just a new form of travel and like sort of a new t- technological form of travel, Airline travel was something that very few people did. It was expensive. I think, what are the the statistics we have? So it says, in 1958, 80% of Americans had not been on a plane, which is compared to today where around 90% of Americans have experienced air travel. In 1965, no more than 20% of Americans had flown on an airplane. So between 1970s and 2011, this is getting a little bit more ahead of us, but the number of air passengers tripled. So, so a lot of people hadn't had never flown. Although, if you could fly, you could afford to fly. It was a it's a nice experience. It's very luxurious and expensive. Yeah, quite expensive. Part of what I think regulation was doing, they were subsidizing prices for shorter flights. Intercity flights were less expensive, and longer direct flights across the country were much more expensive. So in many cases, if you were traveling across the country, you would make several stops at different airports because there just simply wasn't a direct flight or the direct flight was much more expensive than just traveling, bouncing from layover to layover. Mm -hmm. Right. They're basically protecting or just controlling airlines like that, controlling routes and prices. Yeah. Now maybe we can get into like why people were starting to talk about deregulating. Yeah. Well, I think by the time the 70s rolled around, a couple of things were happening in the country like parallel to this. The CAB had this, was kind of known for being like inefficient. Like it would take years and years and years for airlines to get their new routes approved, which wasn't ideal. Because they couldn't set their own prices, the CAB regulated that. They would come up with like new perks and stuff to attract people. And then the CAB started regulating those as well. This is why you'd have like free drinks or like fancy meals on airplanes. They were trying to attract different customers. Moving to the 1970s and you have the oil crisis, um, stagflation. Jimmy Carter gave this speech, the crisis of confidence speech. Talks about malaise in the country at the end of the decade. So there was less optimism about government in general. And then this kind of question came about, maybe we should start deregulating these things. It also seemed like at this time, like there was declining confidence in the government. And there was this idea among the the right of the political spectrum, the economists were pushing this idea of deregulation and allowing things to just figure themselves out on their own. And this idea was just gaining popularity at the time. Right. They'll be self-sufficient. Well, it's really interesting because this happened So regulation happened under Democratic President Franklin Roosevelt. And then deregulation, a lot of it 
now is happening under a Democratic president again, Jimmy Carter, who, you know, was a farmer before he was president and had, you know, dealt with regulation. So he was like, he was chill with that, those going away. Because the whole issue was spearheaded by Ted Kennedy, who was seen as like the liberal lion or was seen by the time he died. And yet this is a guy who was ready to deregulate the airlines, which is really interesting. Yeah, so he spearheaded this and he was in the media a lot. And I guess because this was an issue he was talking about and because the media was interested in him, the media became interested in this topic as well because of that. Yeah. By this point in 1978, he was eyeing 1980 running for president. It kind of seemed like it might be his his moment. And he did run against Carter. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of that gets us back to the bill itself. So maybe we can go into the bill after it was passed. What it essentially did was there were there were a bunch of changes that it made. So it it removed the ability of the CAB to set fares. Um, it made them expedite their processes, which had gotten super slow and bureaucratic. It loosened, I guess, some of the rules around establishing new entrants into the airline industry and improved the competition environment. So airlines were allowed to take over routes that were underutilized by competitors. It allowed American-owned international carriers to offer domestic service in addition to their, the international service they were providing. I mean, it, it did a, a bunch of things. Those were, I think, the main items. And there was some. There were people that felt, you know, I think broadly this was popular, but there were also lots of people that were worried that deregulating airlines was going to mean safety was going to get worse. And when safety gets worse for cars, you may see more deaths, you may see more crashes, you may see more, you know, issues. But I think there was some, a, a little bit of a higher level of concern with the airline industry having safety issues since almost every time a plane crashes, everyone dies. And there were also people that were worried that deregulating airlines was going to mean that smaller towns, smaller cities that currently had airports and had airline service to and from them were going to lose that as the industry changed and, you know, as airlines sought out efficiency and profits and ended up not sort of needing the smaller airports um, that didn't get as much traffic. So I think that, you know, the regulated industry was propping up a lot of these smaller destinations. And some people thought that was a good thing, you know. Yeah. Well, definitely if you live in a small town, you think it's a good thing. You lose your airport, your airplane, like all of a sudden, ah. And that did end up happening to a lot of places. They lost air service. Yeah. To address the concern of people who were worried about smaller airports shutting down, they did provide this subsidy for the next 10 years that like was this government program that allowed smaller communities to get funding to keep their airports open. But the funding for that has gone down over the years. But in, initially, that was something that they considered when, when they passed the bill. Mm-hmm. I think one of, the, one of the things that helped to really make this whole deregulation scheme not explode in their face was that they kept the safety inspections and air traffic control in the hands of the FAA and ensured essentially that air travel would be safe into the future and um and that airlines wouldn't be able to kind of self-regulate on the on the safety side of things. Right. And especially since after the bill was passed, you had all these like new airlines entering to compete to like, you know, try their hand at being an airline. And if they could do whatever they wanted with safety, we could have had a very different history, but they had to follow rules. Yeah. There were also concerns about labor had a lot of concerns about what it would mean for salaries and working conditions for pilots. And what I found interesting when I was researching is that there was concern 
concern about this, but there was also a sense in the industry that because of regulation, airline employees like pilots and people that work for planes were overpaid and no, there was not a lot of sympathy for them, even though people acknowledged that it was probably not going to be good for them overall, you know? Yeah, definitely. So since the 1970s, the impact has been pretty clear in that more people are flying, like a lot more, um, which is maybe like the, the, the positive like impact of the bill. It's also a lot less comfortable to fly. It's smaller seats. You got worse meals if you get a meal at all. Nowadays, most people kind of accept that as like a reality of like a cheap plane ticket. They're fine being uncomfortable for a few hours if they can fly somewhere for like $60 or something, which would have been just unheard of in the 70s. Yeah, it seems like people, service got worse, labor conditions got worse, the industry was able to grow and become more efficient, prices went down. And the long and short of it was people were happier that prices went down than they were mad that the service got worse. And ultimately what that meant is more and more people started flying. More and more people felt that flying was normal and something that they should do, you know, and the culture of travel by plane exploded as this way to see new places, understand the world. Right. Yeah. Which is definitely, it's on the one hand, it's like a great thing. And we've both benefited from that like culture of being able to travel easily. You know, you can fly to Europe for a couple hundred dollars in the off season, but there's been like this like other side of the coin as well, which is one thing we're going to talk about, I think a lot in upcoming episodes, but that's just like this massive, these crowds now that go to places that can, can afford to go to places. I mean, it goes back to something Ted Kennedy said during a, a hearing when what, someone came into the room and, and said, why are, we, why are we even talking about deregulation? Because I've never been on a plane. And he said, you know, that's what I'm trying to change. You know, everyone should be able to have this access to airplanes, to flying somewhere new. Yeah. I think this like quote from Stephen Breyer is good. Stephen Breyer, who was working with Ted Kennedy to pass this bill before he became a Supreme Court justice, looking back on the bill in 2011 said... So we sit in crowded planes, munch potato chips, flare up when the loudspeaker announces yet another flight delay. But how many now will vote to go back to the good old days of paying high regulated prices for better service? I think it's exactly that. It's like, if it's a cheap flight, great, I'm going to do it. I don't care that it's going to be uncomfortable. It's all about the money. Yeah, I think if deregulation had led to poorer safety records, it would have been a whole different story. But because the downsides were crowded planes and lost bags, as opposed to people dying, everyone was like, okay, I'm okay with it. Yeah. It seemed like the benefit really just outweighed what people gave up. Yeah. This yeah. access to like the world, basically. All right. I think that does it. That's our show. Thank you for listening and make sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Yesterday in Trav. We'll be posting about future episodes as well as updates on what's going on in travel today. Email us with feedback or episode ideas at yesterdayintravel at gmail.com. And please, if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend, review us in Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the feed. Thanks, and we'll be back with more soon. Yesterday in Travel is sponsored by Via Hero, a platform that connects you to local travel experts who live where you're going. Their job is to provide expert advice and help arrange activities and logistics like lodging, guided tours, transportation, and restaurant reservations. 
They also share insider tips on hidden gems and activities that you might never find searching on the web. When you hire a local, your money goes directly to them, and they help you plan a trip that is more fun, less expensive, that also directs your tourism dollars more evenly in the communities you visit, which helps to make your trip more sustainable. Use the code YESTERDAY at checkout to get 10% off your next customized itinerary and guidebook created just for you by one of Hero's amazing locals in over 20 destinations across the world. Go to www.viahero to find out more. That's www.viahero.com to start planning your next trip with the help of a local. And remember to use the code YESTERDAY at checkout, which gets you 10% off and lets them know we sent you.